Welcome to another edition of the Woj Pod here in LA with Houston Rockets guard Fred Van Vliet. You used to hearing that, like when somebody says Houston Rockets guard, do you still like sit up when you hear it, or has it been long enough now? Uh, I'm getting I'm I'm getting used to it. It it took a while. I'm starting to get comfortable with it. Um, they still have my jersey listed as a 23 in Dallas the other night. They announced me as number 23 <laughs> for the Houston Rockets. So I think everybody's still, you know, getting used to it, but uh, I'm enjoying it so far. I mean, Fred, we, we are in a, a hotel here in Los Angeles that about five months ago, five and a half months ago, like you came to kind of a moment of truth that first night of free agency, June 30th, six o'clock comes and you can technically start meeting with teams. You had the Rockets were at the hotel, their group, Masai Ujiri and the Raptors group, your, your agents with Clutch. What was that night like? What do you remember about kind of walking into this hotel and going, by the time I walk out of here tonight, some things are going to happen for me? Yeah, well, it just felt like change was on the way, on the horizon. And um, I remember the night before just kind of being, my stomach being upside down in just terms of knowing that I would have to make a huge decision one way or another. Um, thinking about all the possible outcomes and then obviously looking forward to having some face time after just thinking all summer. You know, you don't really know until it officially starts. So, um, you know, talked to my family, talked talked over all the different possible scenarios and kind of what was on the table. And, um, you know, the next day and you know, going into the official free agency was, uh, yeah, it was one of those probably nights I'll never forget, you know, just because it was such a, pivotal change and kind of like a chapter closing, chapter open, you know, it's like a big transition for me. So um, I just remember being a little nervous and uncertain about, you know, what was ahead. Which meeting do you remember better or is more, stays in your mind more? Was it the Rockets or what turned out to be the goodbye with Toronto. Yeah, I think both. I think I think my meeting with the Rockets was my first like welcome to the NBA moment where it's like yeah, there is another team that values you as well. You know, there's there's other teams that value what you do and they don't even know you the way that, you know, somebody that has been with you for 7 years would know you, but they just know from the outside looking in and all of my best attributes are you get after living with me. You know what I mean? You get from the day-to-day, the practice, the plane rides, the bus rides, like that's where I do a lot of my work at. But um, I remember meeting with with Houston and just kind of hearing their vision and hearing how they see things and being excited about a new possibility. And then I also remember, you know, meeting with Toronto and kind of leaving that meeting and feeling refreshed because I was so uncertain about, you know, making a change. I, I felt it, but kind of that meeting kind of sealed it for me that was like you know that's kind of the right thing for me to do because I, you can't hide energy and you know just being in that room everybody that was in that room can attest that you know it just felt like it was you know everybody understood what was about to happen you're getting recruited by Houston I mean they were recruiting you Ime Adoka Rafael Stone their general manager Ime obviously the coach they had a very clear vision I think of putting the ball in your hands and adding you to a very young group that had a lot of growing to do with the other veterans they were trying to bring at the time and Dylan Brooks comes did Toronto feel like a recruitment anymore uh no not at all and I think that's that's part of it and 
um, you know, I have a great relationship with those guys, obviously Masai and Bobby. And, um, you know, I grew up in Toronto. Um, I earned a lot of who I am there. Um, but again, you got to understand the situation and kind of know what's going on in, in the organization. And it was just a time where it's like, okay, it's starting to go around Scotty. It's starting to go around some of the other young guys. And um, my value there wasn't probably as great as it was in Houston. And, you know, really that's all it boiled down to. So it definitely was not um, much of a, uh, uh, buttering up in that in that uh, meeting, um, but I always give Masai credit for shooting straight and being honest and upfront. And um, you know you gotta you gotta commend him for that. And, and we've always had a great line of communication. And he was pretty pretty straightforward. You know, what did that sound like in that meeting from him? Like what what does straightforward sound like? Uh, I think it just sounded like you know this is the way that we're gonna go. This is what it's gonna look like going forward. And um, this is kind of where we are, and we'd love to have you be a part of that, you know, and that's what that would look like. And, you know, we also understand what's out there, and we understand, you know, that you have to do what's best for you and your family, but this is where we are, and this is what that's going to look like. And, you know, a lot of this stuff that we already knew, but that was like our first time having a straightforward conversation was, you know, the first couple minutes of, of my free agency meeting. What was interesting to me was when you look at your your life in basketball and, and your life, the, the loyalty, think back, you come up in Rockford, you play for like a primetime AAU team. It was not one of, I guess, I don't know what, blue blood is the right word, but there were a lot of high-profile AAU teams who A, you guys beat all the time, and B, who would want you to come play for them. Usually those regional teams are feeders to those guys. You didn't go to those teams. Right. You get recruited by Wichita State and a few other schools. You commit to Wichita State, and then people start seeing you. And I've heard a story about one you might know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> Hall of Fame level coach, maybe, or big time coach, who followed. I think I heard the story was he followed your AU coach into the bathroom saying concession stand. Right. Yeah. Same, like, yeah. Is that verbal still good with? Yeah. Wichita State. Yeah. And it was the answer was yes. You go to Wichita State. You could have. Your player of the year in the league, you could transfer up. You don't do it. Your life has been, and so you play this career in Toronto, and you said, like, they gave you an opportunity. You made the most of it, yeah. becoming an all-star there and helping win a championship. And even knowing all about how they felt and where you felt it was headed, I just wonder how difficult was it still to walk away from it? Harder than you thought it would be, or did they just make it easy? No, it, it it was never easy. Um, it was, you know, one of the most difficult decisions I've made, especially as a professional um, in my life. But uh, I think more than anything, it was just like trying to look ahead and, and, you know, use a little foresight and have some vision about, you know, things that are going to happen down the line. And so I didn't want to be in a position where I was just signing a contract because the number was good and the contract was good. Um, I, I wanted to kind of position myself, you know, for whatever the second half of my career now as I'm going on my eighth year. So just kind of looking ahead and seeing, you know, the writing was definitely on the wall. And um, once we got to that point where it was like, okay, they clearly, you know, are going in a different direction. Um, this is not the situation that I was 
brought into and kind of nurtured in and cultured in and won a championship in. This is a different environment that they're, you know, they have to kind of start over a little bit. Um, and I would just want it to be somewhere where I could be myself all the way through and not like have to try to fit into a box, you know what I mean? And um, I think it was, it was best for, for all parties. The word that everybody around Houston uses with you is toughness and it's what they wanted and it's what they wanted you to bring. And uh, Rafael Stone, your GM had an interesting point. He said, listen, we've had very physically tough players here. We've had mentally tough players here. We've never had someone who was both. And he said, like, to be a six-foot guard who's not the fastest player at his position in the league but is so elite defensively, you've got to have this level of toughness. And when you walked in the door there and you saw what they'd been and you'd played against them and mm -hmm. how young and how, like, it's what young teams look like in this league. Right. In your mind, was that element of it where you said, I know this is what they need for me here, and that's that's what starts to change it, and that's how you, you know, win. Uh, you know, that's how you have the kind of start to the season you guys have had this quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And you just got to realize, you know, after you've been around it long enough, and understand that it's all relationships and it's all fit and opportunity. And so, where I was in my career, where they were, is just like a perfect timing and a perfect fit. And I don't think, you know, it's an accident that they went and got Ime and then they went and got me and then they went and got Dylan. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's the perfect time for where they were in the organization, where the young guys are in their development stage, and then where we are and where I am. And so I felt that from day one that it was just a great fit. And um, I was excited. And I think that, you know, the first day was like I had to – the itch and the joy because last year was such a drag for us that you know whether it was coach going through stuff or different players here and there like it was just such a drag you know to get through the season that um it starts to feel like a job and um that was my first year kind of being unhappy playing basketball and most of it was due to my own play and I'll take credit for that you know what I mean I'll take responsibility for that but at the same time it just wasn't a great season of basketball for us um and so getting that joy back was was huge for me do, do you think fred that you have maybe a different perspective or a different eye for fit and how you fit in places because somebody who's a lottery pick and was best player in their class and high major college whatever it was like the whole thing revolves around them and mm -hmm. the fit everyone else has to figure out how to fit with mm -hmm. them and you come into training camp in toronto with like six undrafted players, you know, with Kyle Lowry, Corey Joseph, DeLon Wright ahead of you, mm -hmm. trying to make a roster where I, I guess, and then you're fitting with Kyle Lowry, who you different stages of your career. Mm -hmm. Do you think it gave you a different eye to go look? You just see it differently than maybe some yeah. other guys in free agency might. Well, I just, yeah. I had to study every aspect of it to even make the team. Like I had to figure out exactly what to do to kind of shape myself into what I needed to be. And um, I just always tell people, like, there's guys in this league, a few of them on each team or f each franchise, that they're the middle puzzle piece that you start with. And you can place pieces on each, all sides, all four sides. And then the most rest of us are like that last piece that has to fit exactly whatever is already on the board. And I was one of those guys that I was the last pick the last guy to make the team 
So I understood that I have to fit exactly what's already there. And so I have an eye for it to know like, okay, this is a good fit. This is not a good fit. And that's basketball. That's locker room. That's, you know, chemistry, synergy, whatever the name is that you want to use. But there's definitely different ways that you can approach it. And for me, I always just try to make myself as flexible as possible. Since 1990, 231 NBA All-Stars. And among that group, only four have been undrafted. So that's 1.7% of the league's All-Stars were undrafted. By memory, you know who the other three are, right? It's easy. Yeah, Ben, ben Wallace, John Starks, and, and who's the other one? The other one surprised me that he was undrafted, but, but he, just because of where he played in college. and Brad Miller. Brad Miller, yeah. Brad Miller. Who I think was a two-time. Brad Miller two, was nice. Yeah, two-time All-Star. Yeah, yeah. Um, And in an era, too, where they drafted bigs like that. You right. might go undrafted now, but back then. Um, being that guy, and every stage of it is you make a team, you become a starter, you became an All-Star. And then the next one of it is I get a $100 million-plus deal mm-hmm. in free agency. Is it always in your mind still measured against the guy who had to show up at Summer League for the Raptors and just made the team almost like NFL style? We don't see that much in the NBA. Right. You kind of can go into camp and almost know who all the roster spots are going to be. Yeah. It's more in the NFL where you'd watch like um, uh, you know, hard knocks where some guy's trying to make the team. That's yeah. not an NBA thing as much, but right. it was – for you, right? Like yeah. that, that, did you still measure every experience against being that guy? Absolutely. And this is still the year before the two-way as well. So the league has changed even since I was able to, to make a crack. Um, I think that there was 1,000% undrafted guys before me, but I just feel like there's been – it's more of a thing now because it's like eye-opening, like – you know, there are guys that just aren't going to get drafted that are still going to have great careers. Like, that's a known thing now. Um, but for me, that's just who I am as a person. So, like, whatever you see on the court is me as a person, my personality. That's my demeanor. It's my character. So I, it's hard to kind of separate the two. I don't, I don't even know how I would begin to do that. But I think that, yeah, you always measure whatever success comes against the failures that you had and kind of, the you know, the odds that you are up against, I think that's what makes it, you know, the story all that much better. You talked about this studying roster, studying where you fit, and you've seen team building change in the league in your time here. And, and I think you've talked about this. Toronto was not your normal championship team. It wasn't, didn't come together in a way that we normally see. We may not see it happen again exactly like you guys did. What have you seen, or what are the trends you see as a player in what organizations value, in who they want to pay, who they don't want to pay, that's even different from when you came in the league, you know, eight years ago? Yeah, I think that now more than ever, it just feels like everybody is open to the idea of, like, developing a star. And that's a concept that people can wrap their minds around, the way that the cap has changed, the way that the way that you have to build a team now by the CBA has changed. So I think we saw all the different phases from the three-star phase to now it's more of like a two-star phase to now, you know what? We're just gonna take all of the young guys we got, get some 
more assets and assets for hopefully one day down the line we may be able to have a Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors moment where we just add a piece and win a title but more than that we're gonna try to draft good get these young guys and build more of a team culture and from a basketball standpoint I think that that's why it's so hard to win on a nightly basis now because everybody is good there's maybe only like two or three teams that aren't really trying to compete and I think that's you know the lowest it's been I think there's other years where there's a lot of teams that aren't competing and I think this year there's a lot of teams that are competing and they have good talent and you just build around them and try to boost your young stars up and you said it about the new salary cap and you know the biggest thing that I thought it was going to do once you sort of understood talk to team executives and agents about how it was going to change it that I think for the superstar player it was how they how they process the kind of group that they would want and need around them Mm -hmm. that that was going to have to change they're going to have to recalibrate that you are not going to have as many veteran maybe well-paid veteran guys around you, the cap won't allow it, and that you're going to have younger guys, and you're going to have – that's why Denver, I think, is interesting because they've got their star players in place under contract, and when they lose a Jeff Green and they lose a Bruce Brown, they've got uh, Peyton Watson now. They have Christian Brown. Brown. They have Pickett. Yeah. They've had picks. They've hit on their picks. They signed Najee, too. Najee. Yeah. And – you're not going to go out in free agency and replace Bruce Brown, but now you're doing it. They're playing those guys, and that's a formula for doing this, right? But it's doing what Phoenix did is, listen, they have a window here where they can win. Yeah. But after, I think that window is probably as long as KD still playing in a Super Bowl, yeah. and he might play. Well, I just think, know. yeah, and I mean, you know this more than anybody because how your name is it's just hot all the time, but there's not really a free agency anymore. It looks like free agency. Free, free agency doesn't exist doesn't anymore. Exist anymore. So yeah. y- there may be a piece here, a piece there, but like the days of everybody just, I'm going to wait to free agency and it's figure it out. Guys go in the portal. Right. So now, yeah, just yeah. I'll just sign the contract and we can figure it out later. And that's kind of like what most people do. And so yeah, right. when you have all of these things that's locked in already, like I said, if and if you have some of the older stars that have bounced around, like you said, Phoenix, there's only so much they can do around the three that they already got anyway. So, They're going to be chasing minimum deals. Right. It's hard to do. Yeah, so it, just the way that you build a team is either that. There's a few of those teams that have the top stars and they try to mix and match as best they can. And then there's, like, the rest of the teams that are up-and-coming young teams. And what nobody really wants to talk about is that it's still we're, – we're, keep getting closer and closer and closer to the transition where all of our greatest best stars are 34, 35, 36, 30. I mean, LeBron probably can go forever, but not everybody will be going forever. And there's going to be a new era of guys in a couple of years. And, and we're kind of seeing we're in it now. So it's hard to, to see it, but it's happening. No, no, it is. And I think what you guys are doing in Houston with like your how quickly you and Sangoon have built two-man game and pick and roll with him. And, you know, you see his growth this year has been. And that's what Houston was like a lot of those teams. We have a bunch of picks. We're going to draft them. We're going to hit on. You don't have to hit on many of them. And they missed on a couple, and that's all right. And so haven't a lot of – it's like how many times you get to the plate. Yeah. And you hit on two or three guys, which they have. That's mm-hmm. all you need because you can't pay them all anyway. 
Like Oklahoma City is going to have the problem. They've done such a good job yeah. that, like, and they've got all these picks. They can't use them all, and they'll probably yeah. just keep trading them down the road to have them. But you have a formula there, and with your veteran guys where, you know, Jalen Green, Sangoon, and then what you guys have brought, and, and a coach in Ime who you see is a difference maker, um, it could get you in the mix pretty soon with a lot of, a lot of teams. We're right there. I can and and I was pleasantly surprised at how eager they were because that's the part that you can't see and that you you can't forecast. Is like, are the guys gonna be receptive to what what I bring, what coach brings? And they were. They were ready for it. And I think that's why it's people are surprised at how fast we did the facelift. Now, whatever the record and how we finish out the season, whatever, you know, it's going to be up and down. We're definitely got a long way to go. We're still learning. But, like, the culture has already changed. And it's going to continue to change. It's going to continue to grow and get better. The young guys are extremely talented. They want to win. They work hard. They listen. Like, it's a it's a great environment, you know, and it's, it's, it's helpful to, to grow that way. Did you find with a lot of those young guys, they were just dying for leadership. They were dying for someone to come in and show them how to do it. Like I said, it's perfect time and, and opportunity and, and fit. Like, they were ready for it. They were so receptive and just hungry is the word. Like, they were hungry. These guys want to win. They really do. And, you know, it's not, uh, uh, you know, development is not a linear path where it's just going to go straight up to the moon. But at the same time, the attitude and the mindset is in the right place. And you could tell by the way they interact with Coach. You can tell by the way they interact with me, with each other. Um, so I feel really good about the group that we have. And, you know, it, I feel like it's only going to get better. How does Ime lead? What, what is his way of leading a group? He's such a stoic, straight face that you that you miss the upbeat, positivity, fun environment that he creates um, until you get inside the locker room and, and inside the, the team. From the outside looking in, it just looks like straight face, San Antonio, straight up and down. But he's actually super fun, uh, positive. Uh, he's a confidence builder. He gives guys confidence. He's definitely going to tell you the truth. He's definitely going to shoot straight. He's definitely going to cuss you out. Um, all of those things, but he's going to build you up. He's going to put you in position to be successful. He studies. He's great in the film room. He's great on the court. He's a great um, teacher. He's a great leader, and I love the staff that he was able to bring in around him to kind of build up what he what he is as well. Like The staff compliments him really well, and I, I, it's a credit to all of our coaches because they create an environment that can only help what we have. For the in-season tournament, have you been surprised at all about how quickly everybody was willing, like, and I don't just mean players, but coaches, organizations, because they've all got to be on board that it matters to them, mm -hmm. that people got into like qualifying and you saw the other night when everyone was chasing the scoreboard. Yeah. I was a little surprised at that 
part of it. I thought some people would be into it, some wouldn't. Yeah. And it felt like everybody was into it. Yeah, I think it's a win, man. I think we got to stop trying to fight with each other all the time about everything. Like, I know CBAs, and I know that there's different business interests from owner standpoint, from the league's office standpoint, you know, versus the union. But, like, it just felt, you know, for the last four or five years, we disagreed on every single thing. And I just think we have to agree this is a good thing. Like, it just – this year, at least. I don't know what it's going to look like in five years. It's fresh, it's new, it's shiny. But, I mean, so far it's been a hit to me. And you can argue about, you know, taking shots at the end of the game or whatever. You know, that's just like – rewriting the unwritten rules um it feels like but other than that like it's been it's been good the intensity is up i'm sure the viewer the views is up you know from a from a um tv standpoint and the games have been fun and it was fun to compete like we really wanted to beat dallas so we had a chance to go to vegas you know it didn't happen for us but that, it was a thing you know in november well that's things and like people were paying attention to games in november and now early December, that they would never even knew were being played those nights. And people in my life that don't even watch basketball are like, hey, what's the in-season tournament? What's that about? You know, and I have to explain it to them. So it's like it's reaching other, you know, people too, which is ultimately the point. It's like we have to create some more um, excitement around the early stages of our season. And I, I think it was a good thing. You, you've been a player. You, you play a lot of minutes. You play a lot of games. Um, you didn't have the luxury coming in the league to <laughs> you weren't going to be right in the load management world but but you you play hurt uh, all of those things mm -hmm. and that's your edge and that's what you most players have to do that to yeah does it feel like the league has and you talk about all the things that are important to the league that's been your mindset and obviously the rules were changed in the off season to put star players anyway in position to have to play yeah. more what was your sense of where the league was on that and and maybe that people were losing interest and they weren't whether it was tv ratings but even within teams and organizations mm -hmm. of guys not playing that it was taking a toll on the league as a whole yeah. for a guy who just came every day and right and performed yeah for sure but i mean i don't want to say this i think again we have to understand especially with Adam, that we've created such a public-facing product from the league standpoint. That's how we sell ourselves as, like, public-facing, serving, you know, the fan base because our fan base is growing so fast. So, yes, but I was also on the inside of 2019 where we actually had to manage Kawhi's injury, mm -hmm. not his load, not right. – him not wanting to play, not him resting. Like, no, there was an injury yep. management program that they came up with. And, yes, it's such a copycat league that when you play 50 games or whatever the case may be and you go and win a championship, it raises eyebrows of people like, okay, maybe, maybe we should only be playing 50 or 60 or whatever the case may be. And so it trickles down yep. to other guys and other guys that are making max money and now you don't want to play your max guys every night. So there's definitely a side effects. Yeah, yeah. And, and people forget to, well, forget, but like not everybody understands there are a lot of people besides the player in the conversation about whether he's playing tonight. Right. It's medical team, the front office, the coaching staff, his agent. Yeah. There's bigger conversation going on than just a player deciding 
I'm not playing Thursday against Houston. Yeah, and I'm never mad at the league saying, let's get back to just playing as much as you can. Yeah. And then it's up to each individual guy to say, yeah, I can go or I can't go. You know, I'm always going to be a fan of guys playing as much as they can, but I'm definitely not a fan of guys playing hurt to appease the fans because that's that's where the line gets, you know, kind of jaded at. It's, it's kind of slippery slope when you start getting into that ballpark, you know, and there's been countless stories of guys that have kind of shortened their careers and had lifelong implications on their bodies. Um, ultimately, that's what we sign up to do, but I think that the players should always be smart about what it is going on with them and play as much as you can. And, and, and you said it, and you see more teams, like, I think the play-in tournament has helped with tanking a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's funny, too, when you think about tanking, players don't decide to tank. Right. Organizations do. Yep. And so guys get, you know, these guys get sat with fake injuries. Mm -hmm. Guys, uh, lots of things happen that, again, players don't care whether you're getting a high draft pick or not. That's right. just a guy to come take my job, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. that's your problem, yeah, right? And absolutely. So, but I do think the, uh, the play in, too, to me it did two things. One, I think it helped curb some of the tanking. And then I think it was like a safety net like in a couple of those years for the league, mm -hmm. it got the Lakers in the playoffs. It got LeBron in, which mm -hmm. was important. It got Steph Curry in another year. So it wasn't just maybe the up-and-coming team who stole ten, 9 or 10, but the, the veteran team that maybe had a bunch of injuries or wasn't as good. It, it feels like that had a positive impact on the day-to-day the -day in the league. Yeah, I think so. I think the only the only thing I don't like about the playing tournament is it gives kind of like a false sense of hope to the basketball post All Star break. So post All Star break, one to five, one to six is maybe one to four, five, depending on you know the, the records are gearing up, thinking about April, thinking about how can we get these last twenty twenty five games in injury free, get to the playoffs, do our thing, win a championship, and then like six to twelve. So you may be 37 and 45 and you're playing, you know, knock dead basketball, trying to claw your way in the, from 12th to 10th. You know, it, it's a little weird when it comes to that because um, we were kind of in that situation last year. But at the end of the day, is the basketball keeps it competitive and it gives everybody a chance, a fighting, a puncher's chance, you know, to, to creep their way in. And Miami was in the play-in last year and made it to the finals. Like so really close that's, to out of the play that's a home shot. run for, yeah. for the league, you know, I would say in terms of selling the, the, the play-in for teams. But um, I'm still kind of in the middle on it. Yeah. Uh, Fred, this was great. I appreciate you taking the time out to do this. It was a lot of fun and uh, good luck the rest of the way. This yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Houston Rockets All-Star Guard Fred Van Vliet. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to the Adam Schefter Podcast. We'll catch you next time.